Welcome to the Draft Champions Podcast. We're here again with um, Steve Weimer. How you doing? I'm all right. How are you? And Graham's here too. Yeah, Graham's my co-host, but he he shows up sometimes. He shows up when he wants to. He's like a terrible. He's a terrible co-host. I'm a flake. Yeah, uh, but we love him. We, we love him though. We love him. So Steve, like like I like I, like I said before, this this year for the podcast, I want to I want to focus on getting the players that have been consistently successful, and you're one of those players. You're you're an amazing player. And from what, from what I've seen in terms of your track record and, and drafting with you. And um, last year you cashed, I, correct me if I'm wrong, you cashed in 10 of your 14 DCs, including like the, the early ones that we did. I think that's right. And then Sounds you right. averaged 107 standing games points across all of your leagues. Not, in, not even the ones that you cashed, just in the ones you cashed, but that's pretty impressive. We won five. And you were second overall in the draft champions um, in in that contest for the second time, right? Yeah, that's right. Sorry, I'll shut off my phone here. And um, I think you uh, you cash in one of your two main events. And um, today we want to focus on the draft champions because it's draft it's draft champion season, and um, everyone's doing the everyone's jumping into these uh, contests now. And um, Later, the, later, um, our focus will shift, but we want to look at some of your draft champions um, teams from last year, and I want to look into your your strategy. And I think um, you say you're a methodical player, and I think you are, and that maybe helps dr- coming into these drafts early because um, if you um, lean more on the, on the methol- uh, methodology rather than the player analysis, that can help you have an advantage in these early drafts before like all the player analysis is done and things start to shift around. Um, so what I mean by that is just having X number of players of one of one position by a certain point in the draft, you target pocket aces, like what's, we're not really looking at any specific players, but it's more of how you, um, how you um, write the script and then um, following the script, getting the players doesn't so much matter as much as following that script. Am I right or wrong? Um, yeah, I mean, I think to an extent, I think like, especially in the draft champions, um, a big part of the script insofar as I have one is just getting depth, you know, at every position, getting pitching depth. Um, and with a lot of those players, yeah, especially towards the end of the draft, it doesn't really matter so much. Like you just, anyone with a job, you know, um, that's going to contribute something like has some value. And that's a big part of the plan is making sure you have enough of those players. Um, so yeah, like who you're taking matters, I guess, less as you move on. I think that makes sense. Like deeper in the draft, um, where it's looking more for the playing time. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying that you disregard um, player X versus player Y. I'm just saying that in terms of um, your, your, your sort of approach is to, to focus on the, the strategy more so that like, I think you're more strategically focused in these DCs than um, a lot of other players that are very um, play, focused on player analysis and like assigning an auction value and, and saying like, that and focusing on that, that aspect of the game. So that being said, we're already, I think you've at least done three, uh, three of these leagues already or are in the process of that. So like, what do you use right now? Projections are just coming out. Like I, I heard you on, on the poll hitter podcast and you talked about um, using standing gains points. So talk about your sort of um, um, approach. Yeah. So I think it's pretty standard practice. I know not everyone does it, but nothing too like earth shattering. I aggregate projections, like whatever comes out um, using a spreadsheet by Tanner Bell. She probably heard of a uh, smart fantasy baseball. Mm-hmm. You can put 
five in there. It used to be three. I was really happy last year. You made one. You could put five systems, and you don't get a whole lot of difference from averaging five versus three. But I just like having more complete. So yeah, uh, aggregate the projections, uh, run it through a standing gain to point calculator, and you know spits out values. That's the basis of pretty much you know everything I do. You can't just draft based on those, but like that is the the foundation to get a sense of the values um, where they lay. Now I got a question before Graham chimes in because I know he's itching to kind of chime in about this. Um, now, do you do, do, do certain positions get assigned certain like standing gains points? I guess not multipliers, but like additions. Like, uh, for, exa for example, catcher. Like would yeah. You so, um, in theory, you could do it for all positions. I think the software is actually set up to do that, or the, the spreadsheet. Um, there's enough position flexibility and like multi-position guys i just do two pools like catcher and not catcher uh, that makes catcher, sense it's a um a replacement level kind of based bump and then it's just a matter of deciding how much you want to do that if you do it kind of what's justified if you actually just look at like the 30th catcher and then increase everyone's value by that then you know you're going to take south Perez in the second round probably um so it's a matter of kind of and i guess finessing it a bit for the market like you don't need to go the, the full position replacement or replacement uh, replacement value bump but yeah two, um, good two questions uh to follow up on that one would be um what would be what's your position um what's your standing gains point bump for catchers and the, is this a fluid number that changes year to year yeah so it changes it'll change you know from projection set to projection set as updates come out but it's just uh whatever the 30th most valuable catcher um, is. So right now, and, and like I said, I fudge it a little bit, but in theory it'd be that. Right now it's like six standing gauge points or something like that. Six? Um, is, is the replacement value of the of catcher that I have right now. And I think it's 11 or 12 for non-catchers. So they're getting a five point bump. Um, so I thought the catchers would get a bigger bump or I'm in misunderstanding. Yeah, yeah, sorry. The, yeah, the catchers are getting like a five point bump. So the, the replacement level value of a non-catcher is about 11. I think um, the placement level value of a catcher is six. Um, so to oh, okay. value, I'm, I was thinking about the reverse way. I was, I was thinking yeah. what, how many, how many points would you add to like South Perez? So you'd add yeah. six I more think, points to South Perez. Five or so, six. So uh, I heard Phil DeSoe on a podcast, not to, he never gets brought up ever, um, but <laughs> I heard him on a recent podcast. I think I, if I remember correctly, he said, and this is one of the things I wrote down, he said four points for catchers um, okay. is what he uses. Um, and um, everyone's interested in what he what he does. He, I, I believe he said that. Um, I, I don't. Maybe he was on Rob's podcast again recently. Graham, you remember? I don't know. Whatever. Oh no, this was on the Rotowire when um, Erickson had him on. Yeah, I think that was the last time. We yeah. So he Phil, said four. I heard from Phil. He said he had a four. So you six. So I'm. I'm, in, I'm interested into what I'm interested in what people add to to catchers. It's, an, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting to hear. Yeah. So six is like what's justified by the system because like, you also need to take into account the market right and if you go if you put as much of the bump as justified just by the projections then you're going to draft catchers sooner than you need to right um so probably like i know some people i think will go for like the 15th best catcher so the 30th and that brings it up a little bit um i just kind of put it somewhere between 15 and the 15th best catcher the 30th best catcher and then just decide because when you do that pretty much every catcher is a value Right in, in the draft, like ADP versus their value. Once you give the catchers that that adjustment, they all look like values. It's just a matter of where you want to jump in and get the best value, you know, versus the opportunity cost. Um, yeah. 
That makes sense. No, that makes a lot of sense. Um, Graham, I, I think you had a question on this. Yeah, yeah. When you, um, I've seen you tweet, and I think you tweet, you followed up tweet today about it, about projections versus uh, human-ranked pitching list. Yeah. So do you stick strictly to the projections there early in the draft and then find you deviate more away? Like there's more flexibility to move away from that as it moves on? Yeah, that's for sure. Um, even more so in DCs, like when you, there's a certain point in a DC that I'm not sure what the round is, like, you know, 20, 25, 30, somewhere, you get to a point where everyone is projected to be terrible. Like by the projections, like they're all bad skills, bad playing time or both. Um, and you have to find other reasons to draft players because like the drafting this, like the, I don't know, the 35th best second baseman or this guy, because he's projected to be negative $13 in value versus this guy's projected to be negative 15. It doesn't really matter. Um, so then, yeah, you need to find some other reason um, to, to make your choices. And that's where like human ranks or analysts and things they might pick up on that the projection systems haven't, you know, will come more into play at least for me, yeah. Yeah, I was just like flipping through that, um, the table that you put there. And it, it, it seems as though a lot of the stuff that like human rank were in on, especially later was the, um, the breakouts and then the projections were really bad on um, like guys coming back from injury. They tend to yeah. over. Yeah, I think a lot. I tried to separate out in that comparison of the projection-based ranks versus the human-based ranks. Separate out some of the, the injured players, um, but I think doing so is a little bit, um, I guess, unfairly helping the projection systems because that's part of one of, the, one of the things they didn't do so well is project innings for people like Lamette and Sale, um, and the, the human rankers were way lower on them. Um, yeah. So, do you tend to have um, apprehension to take players coming back from? major surgeries and stuff. I didn't actually look at your teams or anything to follow that. No. Yeah. Um, generally, I'm pretty risk averse. Those players are pretty risky. I tend to stay away from them, or at least I'm not as high on them as other people who are going to be more optimistic, I guess, about their return date and how much they'll actually play. All right. That makes sense. So do you, when you're, um, like when I've watched you draft now, to drafts this year and I feel as though I can angrily in my head predict what you're going to do because it's smart <laughs> but it's not like it like how do you do that I guess like every single pick that you make seems to like cascade from the previous pick and you really like like when I get on the clock right like I'm like oh look a squirrel I should take I should take a first baseman because I love CJ Crone, like just example, but it's like, but my team needs a pitcher. Like, how do you do that? How do you fade? How do you fade all the detractions? You seem extremely disciplined. Yeah, I guess, um, especially early going based on numbers, like having targets, having values that you check part of it, just keep an eye on like the supply, you know, like how many decent first basemen are left that I'm okay with versus how many second basemen and how many steals guys and stuff like that. Um, yeah, uh, dis discipline, I guess, but it's also just like boring numbers-based drafting. So it's the discipline to stick to the boring numbers, I guess. Um, right. The, the getting excited about like a player that I think is going to be great. Like I don't, I'm not a scout. I can't really tell like who's going to be good. Like the projections are all going to do better than that than me, at least for like the people that they have a decent, uh, you know, 
data set on, like the established players have been around for a little while and stuff like that. So mostly just trust them and, and go with the numbers, which is boring, but you know, in the aggregate successful, I guess. Right. So um, you, you did do some mains, uh, but right now we're going to talk about the, the draft champions leagues. I think, you, like we said, you did about, about 14, give or take, and you did two mains. Um, just before we jump into that, is there any like big differences? And maybe this wasn't on the agenda, but are there any big differences in terms of um, the mains and the DCs? Because one thing that I noted to you about your DCs is that, and I think you mentioned this on Rob's podcast because I, I re-listened to it today, just um, because I didn't want to start um, asking a lot of the same questions. But um, you said that you, well, I think I don't want to put words in your mouth, but maybe you de-emphasize the saves. Um, you just want, you said you wanted to, you're just happy to finish mid pack and saves. And I think like the average it out, like your standing gains points from saves were on average, the lowest of anything else. Is that something that you'd um, maybe talk about that? And is that something that you'd um, change for your main events? Because I'm looking at your main events teams and you don't, you don't really reach on closers so much, or you didn't last year that much either. Yeah. Um, so it, it may change moving forward, but last year, so generally in DCs, I've, I think it's a pretty standard approach to like get one, hopefully like seemingly reliable closer. Um, and that at this point, like the way things are going now, that might be enough that in a couple of random saves here and there is enough to get mid pack. Um, but it's, I don't know if it's worth paying up to try to get two of those, um, especially when you're drafting November, December and things like that. And it's harder to predict how that's going to play out. Um, so that's the reason I think in DCs that I don't reach for closers. Um, in fab leagues, I tend to do a lot, do a lot better in saves just because I'm going to like pay attention, more attention to fab than it's average and I can pick up some of those closers. Um, so that's why I don't really reach from there is, is to take the, the approach of picking it up in free agency, which, you know, takes a lot of time and a lot of free agency dollars, but um, at least this year it worked out all right. There's a lot of second half saves that were on the wire. Yeah, well, who are some of the guys you uh, picked up in fab or some of your good um, pickups? Yeah, Finnegan, Floro, Colome, um towards the end there, Scott yeah. Barlow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was good. really tough at the beginning, I found. And then there was just a, that point, like I think in July or August, where there's just like Texas, Miami, Washington, um, Cincinnati, maybe. Um, they just like you were able to get like some of the cheaper saves. Whereas at the beginning, people were just blowing their loads on like the Jays and the, the Royals. Yeah, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it's something like at the midway point of the season, my free agent, my, I had three fab leagues and they averaged something like five points in saves, something. And by the end of the year, they averaged over 13. Like I just shot up in all three of those. And a lot of that's just luck, you know, being a week early on the right person instead of the wrong person. And there's no guarantee it'll be as easy next year, but it worked out the, the kind of waiting on closers and also just waiting on the, like you said, the fab acquisitions, not blowing it um, early and just holding out to even get those cheaper closers in the second half this year worked out pretty well. Yeah, that's how. Yeah, that's sort of how it worked out this year. Um, do you do you spend? Do you tend to um, like like at the beginning of the year? Do you, do you tend to like spend a lot if you're really confident in a player, or do you just more of a grinder in terms of? No, just grind it out. Um, be conservative. Have a budget. Stick to it. Um, yeah. So I'm not sure what I think. I like. I did big on Manoa in one league. Um, yeah. But that's about the only like big ticket player I picked up, if I recall correctly. Yeah, it seems like the play is... Sorry, what was that? Sorry, Graham, you're breaking up there. It's hard to hear. I guess, like, how disciplined are you in your... 
Um, pretty disciplined. I think this is, I feel like this might, I don't know if this is from something that Phil said, or maybe it's in the process, or maybe both, but like I have a, a budget of how much I want to have available for each week um, that takes up probably about half of the overall, and then like that, a discretionary kind of like, this is the, the money to kind of play around with and try to take stabs um, at, you know, players that could break out or, or stars coming back injury or whatever it might be. But I always make sure to, to leave what I need to have at least, you know, a few bids each week. Yeah, just looking at the standing gains points of your leagues, I think you, we sort of alluded to this, that they, the counting stats are something that you tend to do well and wins, strikeouts, runs, and like RBIs are things that you, you tend to do well in. Um, I even, like I did notice that, um, maybe we'll get into this a little bit later, but stolen bases are something that you tend to do well and maybe because you do, programs because you you emphasize stolen bases in the early rounds, like once, you're, once you've got your starting pitchers, you, you make sure if you're, you're in that round three, round four range. You're like, if I'm going to take a hitter here, if I'm going to take a hitter early, he better give me some stolen bases. Is that more or less true? Yeah, uh, especially this year. Um, I got to pay a lot of attention to my teams and like historical trends and stolen bases were a little bit of a weaker category like going into this year. So I made more of a point um, to seek those out in, in just the way that you said um, that really they dried up you know, beyond the first few rounds for the most part. So uh, make sure those early hitters um, do give you steals. And that's like one place where, you know, where you're diverging from the projection, the values would say to take, you know, I'm not sure, like judge or this year, like Vlad or something like that. Um, but if you pay attention to, you know, supply and demand, you may want to push up. Yeah. Graham and I took Vlad in that first draft and we realized how difficult it is to build a team around Vlad. I took him in my first, like, I guess, live DC or my, my third draft I'm doing now. It was at pick 12, um, which would probably be the only time I get him. Like honestly, but at that point there wasn't an ace I wanted, and there wasn't any steals guys left. So, um, I have to see how it plays out. I was like, I got wit in the third, so hopefully that'll help make up for it. Yeah, um, I'm looking at the I'm looking at the I'm looking at the drafts you did this year, and the second one that you did by yourself, you, you definitely did hammer the stolen bases after your pitching. Uh, the one you did with Rob, you didn't quite get a lot of stolen bases um, early on. Um, you had Simeon, who's going to get you probably 10 or so. And then I don't know what, I don't know what you can expect from Yellick. You guys took Yellick. So I don't know how much, I don't know how much influence in those first couple picks you had or Rob. So I don't know if we could just write that off to something. Um, something well, that, clearly, yeah, all the, all the bad picks um, right <laughs> off. Uh, <laughs> all the bad picks were Rob. Yeah, for sure. So, you, so you, you, but Rob wanted to take Yellick in the fifth round. Um, so that's the first time I ever drafted with someone. I think it went pretty well. Like I didn't. I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Obviously. Yeah, yeah. Like was was Rob's idea, but I was okay with it. Like I didn't. I didn't consider drafting him for like three years. Um, but it's like, yeah, you know, he could be good eventually. Like backs heal, right? Um, so Alex, he's one of the toughest guys to to know what to do with this year. I've taken him twice already, uh, just because, yeah. like later than that. But I don't know. I don't know. The, I don't know what to make of him. Saw that interview yeah. with them, and they're like, um, after 2020, they're like, What, like, man, you sucked last year, and then he's like, well, like Why did you suck? And he's like, I don't know, <laughs> so I'm like, I, don't, I don't know either. <laughs> That's not encouraging, but yeah, it's he's a tough one. Like, last year was easy, whereas like there's injury, and you know, coming off the the great season or sorry the the bad season like end of the first that's easy that was easy fade i think um there's enough uncertainty but now it's a lot tougher um there's definitely a point at which it's worth worth taking the shot 
Yeah. Well, a lot of good, a lot of good players were taking him last year too in the first round. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, I don't know. It's going to be, it's going to be interesting with him. He's young. He's like what, 29 years old. He's still like, what would you, if somebody told you at the beginning of last year, Yellick's going to have as many stolen bases as he had home runs because he had nine of each last year. Where would you draft him? You'd probably draft him like in the early first round because like the guy's going to go like 30, 30 or something like that. But man, like he had like in the 400 at bats, he's really, it's really a tough guy. I don't, I have no, like, honestly, I have no idea. I'm not, I'm not saying the pick's good or bad because I've drafted him. I've passed on him late too. So I don't know what to make of him. Yeah, no, I'm, I mean, I'm actually glad we made it. This is the kind of player that I would at least want to have one share of, you know, mm-hmm. because he could end up being like a top 10 player again. And then it, it would be sad and frustrating if I don't have no any teams. But if he's on one, I can at least say, you know, I can, I know, bear the fruit of that comeback. Right. So just looking at like the teams that you drafted and then um, looking at not only just your team and like other good players, there's, I've noticed that like, I think you and like other players, like, like I'll mention Phil again, like there's certain players that are just like, like you don't like the profiles you don't want. Um, like a Sano, a Gallo, Jock Peters, like all these like batting average sinks, like no matter like how far they fall, like I think, I don't know if you were in this draft, but I've seen Gallo fall super far in, the, in some of these drafts. Um, are these guys just like, do not touch them? Like for you for first, like they just don't fit your, your, your script. Um, I don't think I, go in saying I'm not going to draft them, but just rather like I'm going to emphasize steals and average. Like I know that I tend to get, like I said, runs and RBIs, like I'm probably going to do pretty well. If my team's going to be decent, then I'm doing well in runs and RBIs, right? So I don't need to worry about that too much. And home runs is not as strong, but enough of the value of these players that are negatives in uh, average and probably negatives and steals a big chunk of their value is coming from runs and RBI. So I'm just not really chasing that. Um, so it's, it's more just, that's, I guess it's more just like, I'm not looking for that kind of profile, but I'm not like, I don't have like a list of players I'm not going to draft and just go in and say, no matter what, um, there's probably a point at which it becomes worth it. But you know, that point is never reached just as a practical matter. Someone always takes them. Just, so I guess the math just doesn't compute with any of that. Those profiles, just the math doesn't compute. Yeah, so knowing my own, I mean, I, uh, it doesn't compute for me. Like knowing my own trends, I don't, I'm not going to do well picking that kind of player. Um, right. Just based on the projections, they're probably decent values, you know, at some point. Um, but the things they provide are going to overload you. And yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't need to get those at that point in the draft usually. Um, and that's the thing I'm trying to formalize more. It's like I know my trends enough. That's like okay, in drafts, emphasize average and steals. So everything else will work itself out. Um, in the past, I would just do that kind of subjectively and arbitrarily. But this year, like one thing that occurred to me is actually like build it into the valuations, right? So like in my values, I'm counting, if I project a player to give me a point in runs that in the category of runs, I'm going to count that for less than um, a projected point in batting average or steals, just because I know that there's going to be harder to get. And I'm going to, like I said, do pretty well in runs in our guys anyway. Cool. How much do you uh, vary KDS? I couldn't hear all of it, but it was about like varying KDS. Yeah, varying KDS to just get different player shares. Because it seemed yeah. like last year you loved Degrom and Cole everywhere. 
So let me just, yeah. I, I think you were breaking up. Let me just repeat that question because I don't know if it was, it wasn't, it wasn't clear here. So I think you were, you were asking about varying KDS to diversify like the first couple of rounds. Yeah. Your internet was breaking up. Okay. Yeah. Um, I definitely do that in like bigger money drafts. I want to make sure that, you know, don't have the exact same people. So then you're like, just as a matter of like it being fun. It's not fun if like all your most important leagues have one player and then they get hurt in the first, like a first rounder gets hurt and then, uh, you're kind of in trouble for all the teams. Um, and DCs, I don't worry about it as much, but partly it's just like fun, you know, to, to build from different parts of the draft. Um, so I will mix it up. I do enough teams that like I'm probably going to draft, you know, at all points. Maybe not literally all 15, but I'm going to have some that are early and some that are middle and some that are late, just by the way that KDS falls. But if I find that I'm only getting late, which is what's happened so far, then I'm really going to try to shoot those early picks and just mix it up partly for fun and see how a draft plays out from those spots since this is partly still prep, um, but also to diversify, you know, to some extent. Right on. Um, so just jumping ahead to like in-season management a bit here, just, to, just for a second. Uh, I, I know you talked about getting innings and at-bats being uh, so crucial, um, but I, I was always um, like faced with, the, I was faced with, the, with this dilemma a lot this year. Like say you're on a Friday, Friday evening and you got a player that's like a little bit banged up and you don't know, like, okay, he's going to be out of the lineup for Friday, but you don't know if he's going to be in Saturday, Sunday. So, like, I think there was an instance where, like, Wilson Contreras, he was out, he was dinged up, don't know if he's going to play Saturday. Um, like, I looked at some other teams, and, like, I want to look at what they do. And, like, do you just, like, burden the hand, or um, what is it? So, it's like, burden the hand, just, like, put in anything that's going to get you points, and don't worry about, like, the fact that Contreras is, like, obviously the better player. Yeah, I do that, the, the burden the hand to a fault, probably a little bit too far, but you know, I always worry about that. You know, he's day to day, he's out Friday and then it lingers and he doesn't play all weekend. Yeah, you didn't um, burn so. too many times by that. Yeah, so that's kind of the worst case scenario, just avoiding that. Um, and then I keep track of all the times that it doesn't work out well. I have a, a, a list of like bad decisions or questionable <laughs> decisions. Um, and then I go back and see if I would have won a league if I'd done it differently, which is a good- Your, list, your, your list of sins? Yep. And you write it um, down and then you like, um, you go and you like, um, it's like Yom Kippur and you pray, <laughs> basically. Yeah. And those are easy like, to, to think about the time that like you bench Contreras on Friday and he hits you know, three homers over the weekend. Um, but there's probably you know, plenty of other times where you bench the guy on Friday and then he doesn't play all weekend. Like I look, I, I, I do a lot of uh, spying on other teams and see what they're doing. And I did that a lot this year. And I noticed that like the, that example I brought up is like, um, I looked at um, Posma's team and like what he had Wilson Contreras because I had Wilson Contreras. I'm like, okay, what's everyone else doing with him? So I looked at his team and he had like a catcher in for Wilson Contreras that like I hadn't even heard of. Like this catcher's not even gonna like play. Like he's not, he, like he might be dead. I don't even know him. And he's putting him in instead of Wilson Contreras because Wilson Contreras is not even playing uh, that not on the Friday. So he, uh, so I think he's also. It's it looked like I don't want to say I don't want to talk for him, but it looks like he's like burning the hand to a fault as well. So that's, that's basically what I was doing as well. Like I was just like, if somebody's not playing on the Friday or the Monday, I'm basically going to take him out of the lineup unless like, unless it's like an extreme situation. Whereas unless it's like my other option is like somebody else that like, if I'm taking somebody else that has like, if I'm, I'm taking somebody that's heard of that has four games. And my other option is like somebody that has two games that's platooning and is facing like a lefty. And he's probably not going to, oh, he's going to play one game maximum. Then it sort of like gets a little dicey for me. What about, like, what would you do in that situation? Say like, okay, let's say, I'll give you an example. Let's say you have um, Kyle Tucker. He's got four games, but he's hurt. 
and he's out for at least the Monday. You don't know if he's out Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And then you have Austin Meadows and he's facing, say he's got two games and he's facing two lefties. What do you do? So this is going to be a, a boring answer, but I would, I would do the math. So like I, I use the Rasball like weekly projections and semi-weekly projections and they have it by game. So you can actually like go in and see like in one game, the, this one game that Meadows is going to play for sure, he's projected for like 0 0.08 home runs and 0 0.4 RBIs, whatever it might be. And then you can see like how many games and probably like in that kind of situation, I'd probably just go for the sure thing um, and take Meadows, but Okay, so I guess the more specific question would be when you're making that decision and Kyle Tucker's not playing on Monday and he's got three more games and Austin Meadows has two games, I guess they're assuming that he plays one of the games. How many, when you're, when you're doing that mathematical decision, how many games do you presume that Kyle Tucker plays? Because are you presuming zero? Um, I think I'm looking at it as like a, a hypothetical, like, you know, like, if he plays three, it's it's definitely worth it. Um, like, how many would he have to play to to be worth starting over Meadows? And then what are the odds of that happening? Okay, so you're um, solving for X, that, basically. Yeah, yeah. you're, you're so, basically finding your break-even point. Yeah, I think that's a way of putting it. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Okay, interesting. Um, so um, we talked about like um, I don't know if Graham, you can interrupt me anytime you want, even though no one can hear you because your internet sucks. Um, but um, uh, we talked about like getting the getting the counting stats, and it looks like your wins and strikeouts are very like important for you. Um, and you tend to like I think you've killed the the wins and strikeouts in almost all the team all the teams you did, even the teams that you didn't ever like cash in. You still ended up doing well in those categories. It looks like we looked at all your fourteen teams. I and you said before we started, I probably know more about your teams than you do because I've looked at them so much. In I looked in I looked at them in detail. It looks like it's an approximately like seventeen starters, seven relievers four catchers, rest of them are position players. And that the pitchers are, could be like 23 or 24 pitchers, it looks like. And it's usually like a 17-7 split between starters and relievers. And your relievers are usually gonna go one, like you said, one reliever in the first, say 10 rounds. But this could be very, um, like this could be very, uh, it could vary. Um, is this something that's like a script? Is this, is, is this like the script? Yeah, in terms of the the, end result pretty much. Like I think what I what I script is like 15 starters, five relievers, and then a few other pitchers I could go either way, especially now okay. there's more pitchers that are just pitchers. You don't necessarily know if they're gonna be like bulk guys or tuning relievers or starters. Um, so that's definitely the goal. And I tend to get there about the same way, but that's not planned in advance. Like I just tend to get the, a couple aces early um, and, and then load up on hitters kind of in the middle rounds. Um, but that's, like I said, that's not like a conscious plan as much as it is just a practice of you know, doing enough drafts and seeing kind of how things fall. Right. And I've talked to Phil, not to bring up Phil again, but like um, he has, he, he, it's interesting because he has a different, he has a different strategy. He, he goes more heavy on the pitching. He takes, he ends up with more pitchers because he waits longer to get his, I guess, worse pitchers. So he really wa he he wants to make sure that he the thing that he told me is he wants the I don't think he'll mind me sharing this he wants to get his like seven bench bats and this is all public information that anyone can see um, 
before it's like the, the drop off happens. Now, you, I'm looking at your teams and it looks like you want to get your, um, you want to fill up your hitters. And I say hitters, your 12 non catchers before 23, before 23 rounds are up. And by, by the end of 23 rounds, because you have 23 starters, so by the end of 23 rounds, you want to have at least 12, those 12 hitters, like excluding the catchers, and maybe up to 14. So like that, you want to make sure you're never, I don't, I don't think you're ever going to have more, like more bench pitchers than hitters by the time your 23 rounds are up. Yeah, that's probably right. That's not how I think about it. Um, but that's probably how it works out. The way I think about it is I want at least two pretty much full-time starters at every infield position. Um, so these two first and keep an eye on, like you said, where that those cliffs are. And, and when that's approaching, you just, it's more important to get them, I think, than a, a pitcher you like a little bit more than one you could take five rounds later. Sorry, can you, uh, just, we're having a little bit of internet problems. Can you just repeat that last part? Because I, I, know, um, I think it broke up. Yeah, so I'm, I'm aiming to get, to get depth at hitters. Um, that's the, the conscious target. And then probably the way it works out is to, in order to do that, you do need to take them kind of before that 23rd, 25th round because like you said, there is a cliff um, that's coming. And after that cliff, it's, it's hard to get predictable playing time. On the hitting side, but there's still plenty of pitchers out there who um, are at least going to get a chance. And given the unpredictability of pitching, like I'd rather take a chance on, on those pitchers and some of them will hit. Um, rather than than hoping that late bats will play, I guess. It's like so I'll take like Mikolas and Kyle Gibson and, and like Brett Anderson and things like that. Um, pitchers that are that are gonna have a role. Um, I'll take them late um, and earlier jobs pretty much locked up. Right. So, play platoon games. Are you more willing to play platoon bats? And um, am I breaking up again? Uh, oh, no, okay. I heard you fine. At least I did. Um, I'd rather not. But there's comes a point when if your alternatives are like a platoon bat and a full time bat, or a full time guy. If the alternatives are a platoon bat and someone who's like a, a prospect or might not play at all, then I'll go for the platoon bat. And you know, hopefully, there's a few a few of those half weeks where you can use them. So you talk, you talk about the cliff that falls off. When you're saying that you... Go ahead. Sorry, what? No, go ahead. I was, I didn't, go ahead. I didn't. Oh, this is bad. Um, I was just, when you said that you look for five starters in the outfield and then two extra, like two full-time starters and seven total, how difficult that is just becoming like with the baseball team's affinity for something that yeah. popped into my head as to whether or not you can maybe leverage that. Yeah, that's what I'm realizing in the, in the draft I'm doing right now. I regret not getting another outfield up for earlier. Like I was really upset when I missed on Lorenzo Cain. Like that's that's where it's at, you know. Um, and I think I've taken Michael A. Taylor in every draft because his defense will, will have him on the field enough. So yeah, it, it's definitely, that's a spot where I think it is getting harder. There are more platoons in the outfield, as you said, so probably I need to adjust to that. Um, and at least as a tiebreaker, try to get an earlier outfielder or two. Yeah, it's one person that um, I've noticed you've uh, taken. 
you talk about diversifying, but I think by the, by the end of the drafts, like the, the ones I've seen you do this year, and I've looked at your drafts, you have your guys. You definitely have your guys at the end, and we'll get into them, that you you don't mind just basically grabbing those guys on every team because they're sort of like, like you see value in them where I think a lot of people don't see value in them. So um, how comfortable are you with, with that in terms of like, you say there's a cliff with these position players, but like you fall out the, like the cliff comes to an edge and then you might have some stragglers that are like falling off the cliff that no one wants, but like you, you'll pick them up and you'll take them as part of the guys that should be on that cliff, like Mike Ray Taylor. Um, last year, I don't know who, I don't know if I can't, I think I wrote down a couple of them, but I think they're mostly pitchers, but like in terms of hitters, like I think you had a lot of Anthony Alford last year. Yeah. yeah. He was, he was sort of like your Michael A. Taylor, but you can get him a bit later. Um, yeah. But there's a lot of pitchers that you tend to gravitate towards that no one really wanted as well. Yeah. I mean, honestly, part of it, especially this early, and I do a lot of my drafts early is like, it's hard to find people worth taking or to, I don't know, like, if I actually find someone that's like, I can see something worthwhile in this 40th rounder, then probably I'm just gonna keep taking them because those are those are rare, rare gems. So um, it's like, well, I guess I'll just take, you know, I don't know, like this guy yet again, because I've done the research on him um, and whatever reasons I had to take him three other times probably still apply. So I'll just take him again. Hmm. Uh, do you ever notice that like, that like during last year that some of those guys that you like you did research on and you, and you were drafting a lot, you have to draft them earlier and earlier because you can sort of sense that the, the market's moving on them, like, like Logan Webb, right? Yeah. So I, I regret how like not moving up with the market, but there were a couple of pitchers like that. Like Webb, I was higher on, I think, than the market at the beginning of draft season. I got him on something like my first four DCs. And then as the price, partly to, maybe to diversify, um, but I think mostly just as the price was rising, I didn't kind of, I wasn't willing, um, I guess, to, to keep picking him. And obviously um, I should have. Um, yeah. And part of that's like, I think there's like, I think I'm maybe mentioned this earlier but like there's a group there's a point at which like i'm just drafting mostly off projections and that's worthwhile and there's a point later in the draft where the projections aren't going to be very helpful in the beginning of the draft season logan webb is in that second group where it's just like it, everyone everyone down here is bad in some way or another um if you find it something that looks interesting just go ahead that's enough of a reason to take him and i take him take him take him in the early drafts with that but eventually he moved up where he was going alongside uh, in terms of adp like pitchers who had decent projections and then he didn't look really good by comparison because you're going, you weren't going on the projection so much as kind of the, the promise with Webb. So I, I wish I had followed him up into the higher ranges of ADP, but I think most of my share for really early in draft season. Right. Now Webb, like maybe we, we can get into some of the players that you did target last year. You had a lot of, um, um, well, let's go through some of the players that you that, that weren't as they didn't turn out to be as good, but you had a lot of um, Shoemaker, Urania, Arihara. I think you had a couple of, but like, um, I think it's just as important to go through the ones that didn't hit as the ones that did hit. Um, so maybe we'll look at those guys first. Um, those Urania, Shoemaker, Arihara. What did you see in those guys that made you pick those guys? Um, so I think a lot of these late picks, I was thinking about it based on uh, the outline that you sent most cases it's like one or more of like three things like you see something in the skills profile that like looks good and that's probably like the least common one for me like I'm not a great analyst in that way um number two is just seeing opportunity that maybe is not being appreciated like I thought for, like Arihara like he was going to be in the rotation right 
the Texas mm -hmm. ballpark's not terrible. So he'd be a streamer here and there. Um, I also thought maybe like coming off from Japan, right? I think, don't think they have as much of a shortened season. He'd have more volume, I think was my reasoning there. Um, and then another one is just like paying attention to what people who are a lot better at analyzing players or people who are really good at right? and seeing if there's um, so just paying attention to trends and then reading people who are, like I said, who have those skills that I don't about analyzing players. And I think like there were people that were a little excited about Shoemaker, again, again, relative to where he was going in drafts. Um, um, Urania, I think like had an interesting change or velocity uptick or something at the end of 2020, you know, and when you're in around 45 or whenever he was going, that's enough to, to take a shot. And I think opportunity there also, I think he was started in the rotation in Detroit or was supposed to maybe. Yeah. So yeah, just a lot of opportunity and um, smart people being in on people. Um, and rarely pick if you dig in, usually you can find a reason, like that they're in on them for a reason. If you look closely enough, you can find that reason also. Okay. Um, let's talk about the players that, uh, that did hit and we'll talk about, um, they're mostly the pitchers at the, near the end. Um, you had a lot of Logan Webb. You had a lot of Trevor Rogers. You had a lot of Luis Garcia. You had some Kyle Gibson. Um, so those are some of the pitchers. And I want to talk about one hitter after that. But um, what did you like? Is is there anything different about those pitchers that I just mentioned that really hit versus the ones that you you really targeted that didn't really help you as much? Uh, Rogers is the, is the one that really stood out for like the skills reason. A lot of the others were at least partly opportunity or um, following the lead of other players or analysts that were good. But Rogers and other, and, you know, there were people that were really in on Triple Rogers too. Like I think uh, Greg Butler, for instance, but he had like skills in 2020 that really like stood out. I think like if you use like the uh, Chamberlain's pitch leaderboard, I don't remember exactly, but he was like top 10 or something in, in like, there's a lot of the others, like I said, are just, doing research looking for opportunity like I wouldn't I didn't think Kyle Gibson was going to be good I thought he'd do a pitch you know um but then if, if you take enough pitchers who are pitching someone then will pitch well <laughs> that makes sense uh one guy the one the one hitter that I want to talk to you about and I think you got him on all your at least all the ones you did well on is um lost the faith but you know who I'm talking about um the Royals guy um Nicky Lopez, Nicky Lopez yeah so you had him on a lot of teams and what I've I was talking to Graham about recently was that like um, I've seen like a lot of players that play these a lot of these draft champions, not just yourself, um, like the Ch Casey Chaws and the, the Tyler Jungs. Um, they really like jump. I don't. I'm trying to phrase this properly. They liked like the Tim Castros. They were on. They were first on the mile straws. Just those guys that like the only stolen base guys. Like after you get all your starters, they treat those guys sort of like gold and. Like more, they, I guess they, I think, I think they see value in them more than other people. Like that, those particular players, I've noticed value those players. And I'm thinking it must be because like in these DCs, like there comes a point where like you maybe can only move up in stolen bases and stolen bases can become so easily. Um, can, can you can move up in maybe easier in stolen bases. So those guys can be plugged in, whereas you're sort of stuck in other categories. Is that a reason why you target Nicky, Nicky Lopez or you saw something we saw some addition. Honestly, mostly just playing time. I think there was reason to believe he was gonna he was gonna play. Right. Um, and he wouldn't hurt your average. And I don't I don't remember thinking like he'd be a big steals guy. Didn't he's kind of didn't kind of come out of nowhere? 
big fist on bases this year? I feel like they did. But yeah, as, as a prospect, Nikki. Yeah, Nicky Lopez was mostly just like a defensive dude who could hit a little bit, like yeah, contact we hitter. You. We heard you the ball around. We heard you there. Yeah, never, yes. never really like heralded for one super skill. Yeah, in his first year, it looks like rookie league, he stole 24 bases in 2016 and then kind of dwindled down 14, 7, 9, 6, 9, and then all of a sudden 22 this year. So, I, I mean, that's another, like, I wish I could say I had some great insight into Nicky Lopez, but it's another situation where I'm just chasing playing time. And then, you know, some of them are going to, for whatever random reason, hit. Um, and Nicky Lopez was one of those last year. You see someone like that this year? Um, me and Graham were having an argument during our draft. I said, um, what about Jorge Mateo? Uh, and we're not, I guess his, his playing time is not as certain as Lopez's was, but I think his upside is higher. Is that someone that, that you're interested in at all? Yeah, he's on, he's on my list of possible late targets. I haven't gotten him yet because he's not going as late as I thought, I guess. Um, right. I think he's okay. got a good chance at pretty close to full-time. At the very least, I think he's going to be like a utility player, it sounds like, just reading the Orioles beat writers, um, you know, depending, of course, on if they sign anyone, but I don't know why they'd sign. You can't trust players. these beat writers, but I was talking mm -hmm. to Graham. I said I, Ramon Urias and, and, and Mateo is sort of like a – double tap late in these drafts is a nice little hedge. Um, you think you yeah. probably get at least one good, one good body of the two of those guys. And there's some upside in stolen bases and playing time. So yeah, I, don't I like know. that. I think I'm going to do that. Okay. Thank you later. <laughs> I just think Jorge Mateo's bad at baseball. That's my overall yeah. take. But I mean, if he gets playing time. Yeah, well, he's on the Orioles, right? So being bad at baseball is not disqualifying. <laughs> well, like I, I just think that he might be like he got deep, like that's how he ended up on the Padres. I don't know. I should probably reevaluate. I just <laughs> don't like players who can't play defense. That's not a category. Yeah, we're having a tough time hearing you, Graham. So I don't, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's going to be picked up on the audio, but we can hear about half of what you're saying. So I don't know what's wrong there, but um, we'll have to figure that out. Um, so um, yeah, um, just looking back at like the, some of the trends of these drafts, um, the, the draft champions you did. Uh, I noticed you started with pocket aces in over half of your drafts, and then you started with a hitter just like in the first round in just one of your drafts. So obviously pitching is an important thing for you early. I guess it feel, you feel like that, that those scarce categories, granted ratios are, are basically what you're looking at there, right? Is, is that the ratios? Yep. Yeah, pretty much. Um, part of it, again, just like based on how I play, where I know my strengths are, which is, is grinding out the, the innings that they have later. So getting kind of good ratios locked in is important, but also it's just, I think for pitching like pretty clearly quality is more important as opposed to quantity on the pitching side, right? There's two ratio categories instead of one. Um, there's only nine pitching spots. So you gotta make sure you, you get good players in those. Um, and to a greater extent with baseball, you can just kind of grind out the counting stats. Sorry, with uh, hitters, I mean, um, grind out the, the counting stats. So it worked well, that approach, you know, if you pick the pitchers, obviously, but works well just for my my approach. 
No, that makes sense. That's it's, it's a it's a way you phrased it is now something I've never heard before. There's two like you don't hear it's so simple. Just there's two categories. There's two ratio stats for pitchers, and and they're taking up a higher percentage of your um, uh, spots of uh, your active roster spots too. So yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Um, now um, the relief pitchers we talked about, and it looks like in general, do you avoid utility only players like? I guess Jordan being like around three-ish player last year, I think he was like, he just wasn't, not, it wasn't that he was a utility only. I think it was probably more of just like the, he didn't bring any speed. Like, is that, that had more to do with it? Um, no, it's more uh, a consequence of drafting for depth on the hitting side. Like I'm going to draft um a lot of hitters that I expect to play to cover for injuries and devotion, right? So I want to have surplus on the hitting side, like more bats than I need. Um, and if you have the utility slot open, just whoever, if you happen to draft three star first basemen who are all starting and healthy at the same time, you can put one in that utility slot, right? Um, so it's part of the, the value of utility only player, I think is, is lost on me because I, I want to have that spot open to, to keep drafting kind of surplus hitting. Um, and it'd be wasted to some extent because um, you don't know in advance like which positions that you're going to have extra. Like if you draft three second basemen, you may have zero for a while at work. And you may have one, but like I said, you might have three first basemen. They're all worth starting at a given time. Um, so I'm going to draft that hitting depth. Therefore, it's nice to have that spot to, to take advantage of um, whatever position ends up being surplus. Does that make sense? It makes sense in my head. No, um, um, that makes sense. And you did do you did take utility only players at, at times. I noticed last year, um, okay. you, you got a Nelson Cruz, um, I think in the early one hundreds, and you got a Fran Mel Reyes, um, I think around in the one fifties, I believe. Um, I'd have to go back and look, but I guess were you expecting Fran Mel to maybe gain eligibility, or, or I guess you didn't you didn't get those players like that much like below slot, so. Is, is, yeah. there, is there a circumstance where you, where you would take those players and you did? Yeah, I'm not sure. I'd have to look back at those drafts. Might have been just like desperately needing power um, based on how the early rounds went. And also, I think this, this realization about wasting bats is something that occurred to me kind of partway through draft season. I, didn't, I, I think I'd shied away from them until the only players, but without a good reason uh, before. Um, so yeah, I think, I mean, there's obviously like they have a value. Um, it's just, I think there's a, there's a, that slight cost of, you know, reducing the flexibility and in particular the opportunity to, to take advantage of surplus um, hitters at other positions, just dings them a little bit. Um, so really kind of relative to the market, I'm a little bit lower probably on them, but you know, not to the point that I'll, like, again, I'm not crossing off my list or anything and there will be situations where it still makes sense. Right on. So um, would you say that they lose that same amount of value in, in a DC versus a main event, or do you think they might not hurt you as much in a main? Oh, probably wouldn't. Definitely the, that reasoning wouldn't apply to a main very well. Um, so yeah, I think it would make more sense in a main. It'd make more sense we, to draft a player like that yeah, in a main? Yeah. yeah. You know, based on this, this line of thought, um, I think it'd make more sense in, in a fab league where, yeah, you can, you don't have to worry so much about the injuries you'll, you'll fill in with, you know, pickups instead of having those extra players already on your roster to fill in. Oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, so uh, just going through these teams, uh, we talked about um, the emphasized pitching to start with, and then um, you um, 
if you look at the first 10 rounds, you almost always had three pitchers through 10 rounds. Um, uh, sometimes you'd have four. Like I'm looking at some of these teams. And for example, um, let's find one of them here. You had four pitchers in this draft right here. So you started with Oh, you started with three pitchers in a row, Cole, Nola, and Kershaw. So that might've been, this is your um, Cola team. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's the only time I've ever drafted three pitchers in a row. Um, and I don't remember exactly, but I think it might've been partly just because that, that seemed fun, but also think, <laughs> uh, Kershaw must've dropped a little bit, you know, past ADP. Yeah, so pick 37. That. So yeah, he would have, he was going like second, third round. So I don't know where that would have put him, but. So you got Kershaw that you got you got three pitches and you went back to pitching in round uh, eight it, with uh, Framber Valdez. So you like what were you thinking? Do you remember that draft? Like you like now that I'm reminding you, you got Cole, Nola, Kershaw, and then Valdez all through round eight. So you'd have you only had four hitters through eight rounds. Is there is that like something that would make you um, uncomfortable and change your future strategy? Yeah, that doesn't seem like it was a good idea. I remember, um, I remember being ridiculed for that a little bit. Like I think I posted that draft board on Twitter, and I'm pretty sure it was Guilds that. <laughs> no way, Guilds would ridicule someone. Like, like, like this seems like too much pitching. Have you ever won doing that? I remember replying like, "Never lost." <laughs> like, either. Um, we'll see how this goes. And it looks like that team cashed, but I doubt. You know, I'm sure that's despite that that strategy rather than because of it. Um, yeah, I don't think that's a that's a great idea, but yeah, yeah. All right, let's, let's take a look because I noticed I'm, I'm looking at uh, these and it looks like you had three pitchers from most, like through 10 rounds from most of these. And I just took, I just took 10 rounds as an arbitrary cutoff, but another draft where you, you had DeGrom in the first, Carrasco in the fourth, Plezak in the sixth, and then again, Valdez in the eighth. So was that just because Plezak sucks? That you did it? <laughs> <laughs> that, at, at the time, I fell into the trap that lots of people have talked about of like, oh, he's way past ADP. Like right. it's gotta be a value. At the time, that was the max pick. It may have ended up the max pick on Plezak. Um, yeah, 87, that was it, pick 87. So yeah, that was well after. Clearly, clearly it was way too early. <laughs> yeah, so like, I mean, even that, and I'm sure, I don't know, I know the projections were down on him. I'm sure that didn't make sense based on my values, but you know, like, a lot of smart people thought, you know, he was for real. So I think it was another one of those, like, I'll get my one share just in case they're right. Um, right. And they, they were not. Right. Um, let's shift over to catcher. It looks like you, 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 you took catcher um, in a variety of spots in the first 10 rounds. Like it could be a Ramuto or it could be a Contreras. It could be a Grandal. Um, but you were, you did like to have one, I think one like solid, ish catcher and you didn't you weren't really affixed to a certain round or a certain catcher but then you usually waited like well after you filled up all your roster usually to take your second catcher however i know you did take a second catcher within the first 23 rounds a couple times it's usually usually you didn't but i think those times were, were when a posey or a or a, a yadi fell to like post 300 so is it just because is that it's can you explain, is there any rationale behind what you do for catcher? One good catcher, it's sort of like relief pitcher, one good one, and then the, the second one could be whatever, and you're going to take four of them. 
So they're going to be three more catchers. Um, a second one is going to be somewhere like, I don't, I don't know which ones you were taking, but is there any, what's your, what's your thinking there? Yeah, so there's a, with catchers, it seems like, I haven't like looked at the numbers, but it certainly seems like there's a lot of timeshares that are like 50-50 or 60-40. Um, that makes the player, the catchers who get a lot of playing time, like 80% of playing time plus, a lot more valuable by comparison, right? So that's why you want to get one of those two, maybe if you're feeling um, aggressive on it. But then once the, the kind of the 80% playing time or 70%, whatever it is, playing time guys are gone, um, there's not a whole lot to differentiate the rest. You know, like if there's two guys that are playing 50-50, like 50% of the time each, I'll just wait for the later one, right? Um, and again, because I'm going to pay close attention to lineups, like having a backup catcher, um, like three, even if it's three backup catchers or halftime catchers, odds are on a, on a Friday, one of them starting, right? And you put that person in and they're going to start again on Sunday probably because it'd be a day game after a night game. And same thing with like Monday to Thursday. So if you have at least a few bodies back there and pay attention to the lineups, you can at least not take zeros and pick up a few stats here and there. Yeah, one of the things I thought of this year was, um, that was I don't know if it really helped me, but one of the things that was going through, going through my head this year was uh, Victor Caratini. I knew he was Darvish's personal catcher, so I'm saying like, drafting him as my third catcher. If Darvish is starting like on a Friday, for example, I know that he's going to be in on the Friday and he might be in on the Sunday, so Caratini could be a good value at catcher because just he was just so dirt cheap. Yeah. Yep. Um, now, speaking of catcher and a transition into prospects, um, you don't, I think it's known that you don't really take prospects, but um, catcher being as shitty as it is, Adley Rushman, um, is that someone that you can sort of just like, how much is he, how much is he hurting you? How much does it actually hurt you? And I don't have enough math, but like taking a zero for three or four weeks, like a flat out zero at catcher, and then putting his stats in versus say like a Jan Gomes. Or, or some of the, uh, well, that's not fair because he's, he's going well, well before Jan Gomes, but say Omar Narvarez as an example, or Carson Kelly. Like, is no. five months of Rushman, and it's hard because I don't know what his, I don't know what his steamer says, like better, like better, including that zero, better than Carson Kelly. I don't know. You'd have to, you could, you know, look at the math and figure it out. Um, I, I can't imagine. I can't imagine doing it. It would just like grate too much against my personality to just sit there <laughs> taking a zero. But I don't think it would make sense mathematically either. So hopefully the, the math would back me out, back me up. But I think um, I wouldn't be one to do that because also like you know you can't just assume that Rushman is going to be up and play and not get hurt. Um, True. Beyond that, also right. So even if you knew you were backing the stats, I'm not I'm not sure if it'd be worth it. But then you know if you step out of the hypothetical, you don't know for sure that you're backing those stats. No, that makes sense. I just, I knew, I knew you had an aversion to prospects because of those reasons, but I didn't know if a catcher is sort of like an exception to your rule. Then I guess it's not. No. Yeah. I want hitters who will play. Right on. Um, what else? Like uh, we talked about diversification prospects. So you, like, let's look at, like you did take some prospects last year. And I think your rule is like, it, it's, if you're going to take prospects, it's going to be late in the game of these DCs. Um, I noticed you had a McClanahan, you had some Daniel Johnson, Jung, and, and uh, Josh Jung, a uh, couple, like, like not 
uh, some teams you didn't have any prospects, but those are the ones that you, you had. I think you had a Joe Ryan as well. Um, um, to be honest, McClanahan and Joe Ryan were two guys that I became more, um, I looked into more because I saw some good players draft them. Like last year, I saw the Casey Chas, I saw the Tyler Jones. They were fighting for those guys in these DCs. So, um, what what draws you to prospects um, if you're going to draft them and you, and, and you seldom do? But what would draw you to those prospects? It also appeal to authority, right? Like I I wouldn't pretend to be a scout, um, but whether if I see someone who knows prospects say this person's good and is also going to be up and says it with, you know, with confidence and has a good reason for it, then, then I'll consider it. Um, or like you said, if I see good players taking them, then I'll look into the situation and see if there is, you know, an avenue to playing time there. Um, but those would be the, the main reasons. It's totally, like I said, just like, I, I'm never going to like go to a minor league game and watch a player and be like, oh, yeah, this guy's good. Like they all look good to me. Um, and even at the major league level, like people, I, I don't think I could scout them, but there are people who have those skills. Um, so uh, I trust their word to an extent. But again, even then, a lot of the, the, the prospects that we're talking about are, are pretty late. Um, and it's more about having a higher estimation of their likelihood to get playing time than, than the market. Like, so the, 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 the prospects are drafted primarily on skills because like they're top rated prospects. I'm not going to get usually, um, but like Daniel Johnson, who's not a big prospect, but it seemed like had a chance at, at playing time and some late steals, which are hard to come by with someone I, <clears throat> that I took some of. And I don't think, I mean, he played for like a month, maybe it didn't really work out. Um, but that's the kind of prospect usually um, that I'd go for. And like Ryan and McClanahan both being in the race system, I think matters because there's probably, you know, more, they're going to cycle through pitchers. It seems like even to a greater extent than, than most organizations. So seeing smart people be in on them, thinking about the, the playing time situation made them more appealing kind of than a lot of the other pitching prospects. Right. Now, um, would you like conversely, would you look at like a major league roster and, and, and know that certain prospects are on the verge of coming up and devalue those current major league players? I'm trying to think of an example, like maybe like the Tigers or Tigers are an ex excellent example of that. Um, they got they got Torkelson coming up. They got um, uh, Raleigh Green coming up. Probably some point in the year. Don't I have no idea what. Um, but they got players like your um, what are the names like the Victor Reyes, Victor Reyes, and and some of the fringe guys like um, like they're yeah, like as Cameron was would have been interesting a little bit maybe otherwise like that kind of player yeah. Yeah, like yeah. Does, do you devalue those players? That's, I do that. I I, I say to yeah. myself, these players are these players are probably going to get usurped to a degree at some point. Um, the Cubs could be an example of that. I, I forget. Um, last year was I thinking? I'm, I should have had examples prepared, but I just I just know that certain players might not last. Like yeah. um, like Seattle was a good example. Like you'd expect some of the players to come up there. Um, even pitchers, right? So like even like Royals pitchers last year, I figured they got a lot of young um, arms coming up. Um, uh, like they, they have a propensity to promote their, those arms um, even this year. So I could see a lot of those like veteran guys in that rotation, just like, I don't want them because like, A, they're not like anything special to begin with and B, they can lose their job. Is that something you look at? Yeah, it's hard to like, be on top of all those situations, but like when you do, right. See that um, again, and that's usually coming 
for me at least from like the beat writers or maybe like prospect writers um but it's definitely it's definitely a factor like i mean it seems like that carlos santana this year is like that's the kind of player i'd love i'd usually be all over like right. it seems like he has, he has a contract he tends to play a lot every year um coming off a bad year so he should be super cheap but it seems like they're not 100 committed to them again reading just reading like beat writers that there's a chance like prado is that his name like the first base prospect yeah um or that maybe they move melendez there so that it's enough to like give me a little bit of pause on him. Right. Um, I was looking yesterday, like Nick Ahmed, even like seems like maybe he's going to get pushed off. Like, I think Graham, you might want to unmute yourself for this. <laughs> Nick uh, Graham loved Nick Ahmed, forced yeah. me to take him in our draft. <laughs> I, I usually love taking him, but I kind of I hesitated uh, yesterday because I thought I know that Perotto, Gerald Perdomo, yeah, um, was that last year, and like maybe they want to move to him but i don't know what do you think i don't know if Graham can give us the thumbs up or the thumbs down like is nick ahmed gonna is he secure playing time for 2022 i was super in on nick ahmed because of the contract perdomo yeah. looks like a good prospect and it seems as though i saw in the mining the news that he changed something um in his approach and i mean arizona should like just tear it down right like they should probably be a team who's giving playing time to those types of players but I don't know I I still like Ahmed because he's a gold glove defender with a contract so yeah I wouldn't yeah, be surprised to see him get a bunch of play Good. that's reassuring that's that's what I want to hear because I want to draft Nick Ahmed types um but I just didn't know if they were if they were still committed to him or not I that's mean, a, I don't, I don't know I'm a guy sitting on his couch in Canada but that's why I like Nick Ahmed <laughs> Uh, another contract I was looking at today was uh, Charlie Blackman's, and I just drafted him in a draft now um, at like around pick 300. I'm thinking like Joey Votto looked kind of like washed, and now he's back. Blackman's 35 years old. He's getting paid a shitload of money this year, like $22 million, and he's got escalators for next year that I didn't even understand. I think he gets like half a million to a million dollars for these plate appearances. So he plays in Colorado. He, before the shortened season, he was like 30 home runs, 300 batting average. And all of a sudden he's dropped off. His batted ball profile is not as good anymore. He's old. Um, they're shifting him. Like there's a lot of bad signs on him, but man, like where he's going, I don't like, I don't know. I don't know what to think, but I took him. I took him just to have a share. Like he went really was, I don't think he's in the last 300 a lot, but um, that was, this was in a 12 team league. So like just looking at contracts, uh, what do you think about him? And then are there any other guys like that that you can see that maybe are a screaming value? Not that much saying that he is, but. I like that call. I mean, I'm not sure. I don't remember how late he's going, but. I don't remember. Um, it'll be good for decent batting average still and should, a way to make up those counting stats if you're if you're going for steals or for pitchers early. Um, so I like the Charlie Blackman call. Yeah, like, I, like, like to Graham's point, like they're going to have to play players that like generally if they're paying the player that much money, they're going to play them. But uh, Colorado sometimes weird, but generally Blackman plays, but he didn't he didn't have a full set of at bats this year. I don't know if he was injured, I forget, but um, yeah. And he's got like a you know, there's a little bit of legacy effect there too. Um, so I wouldn't I wouldn't worry much about him playing. That'd be a tough contract to move. Wouldn't you think? Um, when I was looking at earlier today or yesterday was Upton. But it seems like, again, just judging by the beat writer, that it's not out of their own possibility that they just 
buy him out. Um, yeah. At this point. Yeah, they got to they got to do something. But Anaheim or California or Los Angeles, whatever. They're such a poorly managed team. You don't know what they're going to do. Um, I don't even know what is his contract status. I think he's got one more year, and I think it's. Is it one year? Or he's going. He's going real late. Just, um, just for reference, Blackman went two forty three and two sixty four in our two early DCs. So he had his ADP was two fifty four. So I got him a little bit later, but he's going pretty late. He's going like past two fifty. Um, let's look where Upton's going. You know how where he went in our drafts. If you don't remember, he's going even later. His ADP is like five hundred. Yeah. Yeah. So. It seems like maybe it's just early, maybe it's just my perception, but it seems like it's harder to find those veterans that are going to play because of their contract this year. And I don't know if it's um, again, maybe I just haven't done the research yet, or teams are getting a little bit smarter, don't have as many players of that sort, or a little bit more willing to buy them out. Like that's also on the table. Like you know, with the Angels, like they they did it with Pujols, right? Um, I can't remember if he, did they actually buy him out. I think they did, and he just signed as a free agent. Um, so. Yeah, it's, yeah. It seems a little bit less easy to reason directly from contract to playing time than it was a few years ago. Um, but again, that could just be a perception. Yeah, no, I feel I, I get that feeling as well. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I agree. It's it's that's a little bit tougher, and especially because the uncertainty of the CBA, you don't know what's going to happen there. You don't know if that's going to change. Like um, one thing I was thinking about that I, I haven't mentioned to anyone, and I don't know if it's this is just me thinking. I don't know if it makes any sense, but okay, like they, they're doing like the, they have the service time thing where like Whit, uh, Bobby Witt might not be brought up for a couple of weeks because of the service time under the new CBA that could change. Now I'm thinking like, I'm thinking, I'm sort of thinking outside of the box. What if it changes another way? We're saying, okay, new CBA, we're not going to, we're not going to play any, we're not going to play any games. There's going to be no like service time clock. There's going to be no like super two deadline. They could just get rid of that. And then they're saying like, it doesn't matter if you're, as soon as, the, as, soon as you're up that year, that like, it's going to be, it doesn't matter when in the year you're up, then that's when the service clock starts. So you can, if you bring somebody up on April 1st or April 30th, it doesn't matter. So you can't play any games. So I'm thinking, okay, well, maybe that's good for Whit because I'll bring him up right away, but that could be bad for like Riley Green or what's the guy in the Cubs? Um, Riley Green, the guy that's similar. Uh, Brennan Davis. Yeah, Brennan Davis. Like those guys, those guys might not see the light of day all year if that happens. And I'm just thinking like, is, I don't know if that's a crazy situation that they could, and I don't know if I'm just like concocting a crazy situation with this new CBA in my head, but I'm thinking, I'm saying like, what if they just scrap it and it doesn't matter what, when in the year they come up, if the clock starts the same way, then some of these players might not even come up at all. I haven't thought as much as I should have about the CBA um, and how it affects these early drafts. I'm just kind of waiting for something to be done, but yeah, I think that's possible. I think they also... I mean, I know it's been mentioned, I don't know if it's a serious proposal, but just doing it like the other way, just doing it based on age, like at 20, whatever, uh, eight, or you become a free agent or six years after signing or whatever it might be, in which case, you know, then it creates incentive or if or doesn't create an incentive to bring them up, but it removes any, dis, any disincentive to, to bring them up. So like, yeah, I don't think we know, um, but we can have more or less informed guesses as to how it'll go and probably be helpful to have more informed guesses when you're already drafting. Right. She said, like it is going to impact a lot of this. Right. Graham, any, any thoughts on this? If we, if you can even, if we can even hear you. I think with the uncertainty surrounding CBA, basically everybody who's drafting right now understands that they're gambling 
and it's just an added layer to what you're doing. Like, I mean, fantasy sports at a certain point is a blend of skill and gambling. Um, you could make the argument that it's not and, and that it's more skill based on like systems and stuff and the way that you manage the team. But especially now, if you're doing drafts now, I think everybody is consenting to the fact that it could be a two month season again next year. Like you, you could be totally rolling yep. the dice on what we get. So that's, that's generally my thought and feelings on it. And yeah, I've done a bunch of drafts. I'm in like four right now. I'm a maniac. But... <laughs> Once no. you pop, you can't stop. Like, <laughs> I agree. I agree, man. I think, I think it, 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 that same thing happened like with the with COVID with the, the sticky stuff. Like it's, that's, that's just, that's poker. That's basically what it is. And I, I think some of the stuff is overblown in terms of how much it affects things. I, um, I think it's, pretty much like it's affecting everyone equally so it's like yeah there's luck involved so I, i'm i think i think it's okay i don't i'm not going to complain if anything changes um let's look at some of your specific teams and uh, let's and let's bring it home and look at some of the specific dc teams that you drafted um last year and let's look at the team that was second overall in the draft champions league um some of the great hits you had in this draft um uh, I think he started with Garrett Cole, which is which is a great pick. You had Logan Webb, Kyle Gibson at pick six thirty seven, so he was hugely valuable at, at points in the season. Trevor Rogers, Willie Adamas at pick three sixty seven, and then you had my two Blue Jays, Vlad and Marcus Simeon, who just were great for where you got them. So you had a lot. You, you had to hit on a lot of players to really. To, to get close to winning an overall, and you almost did. You play, you play second um, uh, in, in that league. Uh, it was a, it was your um, Cole and Giolito team. What was it? Coley two? What does, that, what does that mean? Your team now? Uh, yeah, uh, so I combined the pitcher names. So Cole and Giolito would be Colito, but I already had one team that started Cole and Giolito. <laughs> this was Coley two. Oh, so it's just the second team. Second team with those two as the first two picks, or these <laughs> first two pitchers. Okay, I got it. I mean, that makes sense. So we'll talk about this team. Um, you, you, like there were like you know what you, you were second overall, and like you did have some you, you did have some misses. Trevor Rosenthal was your RP two, dead, and then you had um, Paul DeJong didn't do you anything, but like like the players that we mentioned, of course, Nicky Lopez on that team. Um, talk about that team and and what what went right. So, I mean, a lot of luck, um, as you would expect. Like, for instance, like Adamus, I think, I don't think I drafted him anywhere else. Um, I, didn't, I didn't like him going into last year, um, in part because this is where I tried to be like a, a scout, I guess, in the playoffs, like the 2020 playoffs. Like, he looked so bad, like every slider alone away, he was chasing and missing. Um, so, I mean, the projections and values like weren't super high on him anyway, but I was even you know, even more so down on him, but that just happened to be a draft where he was the last like starting shortstop available. So I took him, you know, and he luck into that kind of thing. Um, lucked out to get Vlad, I think later, like a good bit later than he was going. Um, yeah, I think that was the fifth round. Or, yeah. Yep. So yeah. Cast like, Castellanos. Yeah, so, I mean, a lot of luck, but yeah, hopefully <clears throat> some skill in there too. Graham, thank you very much. Um, and I will say, I think like this is the one time when I did take 
Yeah, I took Rosenthal in the tenth, but probably the only team I took two levers yeah. in the first rounds, and um, it did not pan out. But if he, I mean, it's easy to say if this had happened, if that had happened, I'm pretty sure yeah. if he'd got a fair number of saves, I probably would have won. I didn't check this at the finals, but for a long time, like I was ahead in the other categories, like saves was easily the, the weakest category for this team in the overall. Um, you know, so yeah, no bad sure. luck, but you know, a lot more compensating good luck in terms of like how the draft played out, getting Vlad, getting Webb really late, and then just like hitting on these random players like Nicky Lopez and Adamas, who I didn't expect much out of. Right. And then, yeah, you had a couple of guys that didn't get you anything, but that's, that's, that's going to happen with 50 players on your team. There's going to be players that don't get you anything. You're not going to have 50 players that are all good. Um, yeah. So like, it looks like this, this team was just judging by the fact that CJ Crone went 204 overall, this is probably a team that was drafted somewhat later in the draft season because Crone was going like post 300 before he got signed by the Rockies. Um, yeah. So you, you, this must have been this must have been like a March or Feb, a February or March draft. Yeah. Trying to figure it out now. Um, oh, I guess it doesn't say. Sorry, I was looking at the, the list of teams. But that seems right. Um, pretty early in March, I think I stopped doing DCs and tried to like focus on fab leagues. Um, right. I'm not really good at kind of separating out. 12s and 15s or fabs and indices even. I just like to focus on one thing at a time um, and get that kind of, that valuational system or method uh, firmly in my head. So yeah, that's probably like a February draft. Right. Um, so yeah, you had a lot of, a lot of these teams, that, like Patrick Sandoval, uh, Logan Webb, Trevor Rogers, those were like hugely valuable picks. Like Sandoval didn't end up being extremely valuable, but um, he was for a period of time. He was, he was in your starting lineup. Unfortunately, he got injured. Um, what do you uh, what do you think about their draft prices? Those players this year, Webb, Webb going. I don't know. Is he like a fourth or fifth rounder? It's hard to it's hard to know right now because there's, only, there's been so few drafts. And then Trevor Rogers going slightly after that, and then you have Sandoval um, going around pick 200, 250 maybe. What do you think about those players and their prices? That their new prices. It. Seems like I'm not going to get a lot of web. Um, the other two are probably still okay at price. I don't have it um, in front of me right now, but that, that sounds good on Sandoval. I, and I haven't read or don't remember his injury. But I think he should be okay, right? I don't think there's anything. Like, it was a back. I think he broke his back or something like that. But right. it sounds bad. I'm trying to make it sound bad so no one else drops it. Um, yeah, he's uh, he, he's um, he's in a wheelchair. So don't don't draft him. Uh, he, uh, yeah. Yeah, he he died in a hang gliding accident. <laughs> Patrick Sandoval had a stress reaction, fracture or something, and a bone in his back. Did you look that up, or do you have like encyclopedic injury knowledge? I remember stupid things. All right. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. It's, yeah, it's weird. To, it's weird the stuff your brain remembers. Um, assuming he's okay, I think I, I like, I still like him. I think that'd be a good one. And, and it seems to be a nice, potentially a good value, just like he was good, but then, you know, didn't play for a few months and then people will forget about him. So now's the time probably to draft him. I should get another draft just to do that. Um, but yeah, Webb, I think, I mean, he's really high and I'm not sure about that one as much. Um, but all of my opinions are still kind of forming at this point. So I, I may change my mind. 
So when I look at the teams, I think it's important to like debrief your your the teams you didn't cash in versus the, and also the teams that you you did place first. And I think it's almost more important to look at the teams you didn't. But like looking at them, it's like in these DCs, it really just comes down to like health and playing time. Like looking at the one that you didn't cash in, you got it was a Bieber, Mondesi, Glasnow team. So like, what do you do about that? Like those would, yeah. would have been good if they stayed healthy. Like Mondesi is probably a bad example because like, what do you expect? Like obviously your fault for drafting Mondesi. I think you probably, you probably just wanted one team with them. You just probably wanted one Mondesi team. Is that what it was? Yeah, I think yeah, I thought it was my first one. And I believe that actually might've been the second time I drafted him. Um, and I think that team had, Way too. Like I, I, I pointed that I'm like doing the math. Like you know, like Mondesi plus you know this other slugger equals two first rounders if, if you if you add up their stats. Um, but again, that's that that was assuming Mondesi would give you stats. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's an assumption. So what do you think about Mondesi this year? Like he's going like what the fifth round, fourth, like maybe fourth in the the fifteen teams. In third base is so bad. I thought he'd be kind of like a really interesting kind of way to go, but. It's another, I'm just not sure about the playing time. Like, are they? He totally goes. Against, it totally goes against your style, Steve. Like, like the, like the, uh, the, uh, like the, like the unknown playing time. They're even yeah. like that. That's not a Steve. It's not a Steve pick. Oh, yeah. See, you've like, at least I've made my myself clear. Um, so I've not done it. If it stays this unclear on the playing time, probably I won't. If he's like being viewed as a utility player, if they're really going to give third base to Wit, and then. It's kind of in four, right? Nikki Lopez at shortstop with Mirrorfield wants to stay at a second. Um, so yeah, it's hard to see. Like it just adds another layer of uncertainty and risk to, you know, was probably already the riskiest player just about going in the top 100. Um, so I like the idea of it, but it'll be hard to pull the trigger, I think. Who's riskier, Wandesi um, or Bobby Witt? Who would you rather have, actually? Who, if, you, if, you had, if you're on the clock in round five and... I'd rather have Mondesi. Okay. I thought I thought you'd say that, but I wasn't sure. What about you? I would rather have Wit. Just, just, and not to say that I would take Wit that early because I don't have any Wit shares, but just like I will never draft Mondesi, ever. <laughs> I mean, so I, I don't know if you looked at. I mean, I drafted Mondesi in the main, um, and that was. I mean, I did it knowing full well the risks. Um, so I, I don't have anyone to blame but myself, but the, the upside is just like undeniable, you know. So yeah, that's yeah. that's that, that's true. And I'm I'm not to say that uh, who who am I to say that uh, I've I've done enough things wrong in the in both my mains I drafted Trevor Rosenthal. So like I think if I if if it's like if this and that's that true. you're right, like you never know. Like I could have done something different, but uh, that's what happened. Um, but um, yeah, like Montessi, like this year I like. This year I'm even more out than I was last year, even though last year I was out. But not like even at the even at the reduced cost, I'm still I'm out. So there there are degrees of outness. I would think out might be like a an all or nothing thing. Like if you're out of the house, you can't be more out of the house. <laughs> uh, so, but I, I think I understand what you mean. So like last year there there maybe was a a point at which you take him like around 15 or something like that. Presumably, but now that point is even further now. Yeah, last year, you know what? I probably, I thinking back to what I what I was doing when I was thinking last year. Definitely not in round two. I probably would have taken him just to have a share because I do a lot of drafts. I probably like in these DCs, I probably would have taken him in round four. 
if if I if he fell to a round four, but like he was just never falling that far. This year, like yeah, there was a point. Um, would I, I would probably take him in round ten. Okay. Wow. Yeah, I don't think you'll have to make that decision. Yeah. I think, like who's going? I've around? been really struggling with. Uh, can you hear me? Yeah, with uh, modesty because the whole thing about how they're almost going to load manage him like you know they did that uh with um tim duncan the raptors basketball player when they won the championship i don't know sports not baseball kawaii um yeah sure um so it's like it on a per game basis like Mondesi's insane so if you can guarantee me that he gets 120 games that insanity in steals and potentially a little bit of power enough to offset what you could get in runs and RBIs, presumably for someone who plays seven days a week. And that's what I've been kicking around in my head. I've yet to draft him, but I kind of might want to maybe, I don't know. It's the third base thing too, that you said, Steve, that makes me more prone to maybe buy, but I haven't. Um, I'm just looking at the current version of my ranks, which will change a lot, but I got him as the 25th best hitter. I'm trying to see what the plate appearance is at 523. But 523 plate appearance does seem a little bit heavy, a little bit much, probably like maybe 450 or so. Um, yeah, I, I might talk myself into it. Um, if you, if you get a hundred games of Mondesi, what what's that like 400 at bats maybe 425 yeah something like that because i like reading between the lines the comments out of the royals land like that kind of seems like what they're going to try and do yeah and i think like they are going to like set them I, I, I believe them i think about that especially you know since we're talking about not having a spot for him. I do think it would be easy for them to stick to that plan of resting him twice a week. But I mean, this is unusual for me to say, but he's like the one player I wouldn't worry too much about that. Cause he's also been like steal three bases in a game lots of time, you know? Um, so he's one where you just have to leave him in and not worry about it. And that as long as he's healthy, you're gonna get like pretty, pretty insane. Uh, like you said, per game or per week um, value. Or he strains his oblique, taking a warm-up swing in spring training, and all of this. Yeah, with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, with Montesi, it's it's a question because yeah, he's gonna play like 100 or 120 games, say, but then that's that, like your stats are gonna be spread out over the whole over the whole year. It's not like you have like call it like um, a Bobby Witt where he gets called up say in May, and then he's gonna have 120 games, but it's all gonna be condensed, and you can replace him for chunks of time whereas Mondesi he's going to play the same games but there's going to be just like it's going to be like Swiss cheese yeah I think that's right um but again just the steals right it doesn't that's what you're drafting for him for you have to draft knowing that you're counting on him for that certain number of steals so you don't waste them and then if he's healthy you just leave him in and and work around it I think for all the other categories because he's still playing four or five times a week, you know, get, going to get more steals for you in a given week. You know, can be expected to give you more steals in a given week than anyone, right? 
Yo, you brought up the main event that you brought you that you um, that you drafted Mondesi, and I and while we were talking, I brought up I brought up that league, and um, I, I started liking the main event, not that league. I like to get the main event that you placed in second place, is so your your better team. Okay. And uh, I was looking at your your draft, and I'm like, okay, your draft. Yeah, I think you had, had Wit, and then you had uh, I think Degrom. Um, obviously, you could have if Degrom stayed healthy, um, yeah, that would have been a different story. But then I'm looking at okay, like what did you do in Fab? And I started I I, I saved what I did was I saved all of the main event Fab. Um, I don't know if you do this too. You might because you seem like the type of guy that might. Um, I, I've all the I, I took the I took um, all the Fab for every main event um, team. And before it went away, I saved it into an Excel sheet. So I pulled up the, it was draft 990. So I looked at you and I'm like, okay, what move did you make? Because I didn't plan on talking about this with you, the main event. And then I just filtered by the stats, your team. And then I'm looking at, okay, who'd you add to your team? Because we can go and look at your team. You drafted DeGrom, Machado, Machado's got your light, the Merrifield, Cal Hendricks, it was a kind of a bust kind of. And then uh, you had Sal Perez, which is really good. Um, I'm looking at your team, Jorge Polanco, way late, Grossman, Yuri, Yuli Gurriel, um, uh, and some of the, your teams. You, you drafted for, you drafted fairly well. You had you had some bust, you had some bad picks there, like Hendricks and Suarez. You had to make up for it. I'm looking at your draft, man. The one thing I wanted to talk about is like your fab bidding was like insanely efficient in this main event. This the one that you play second. I'm just looking at the team, and you know what? I could probably share my screen. I have to bring it over. So I don't know if you can see this. Yeah. So you can see it now. So I just yep. filtered. I filtered by your team, and let's go down to the the bottom, which is where the, the first bids. I'm just looking at. Okay, you got Robbie Ray, 137 to 103. That's a pretty efficient bid. And let's see. I'm, I'm missing anyone else like Nick Ahmed. Um, okay. And then you got Joachim Sorrell. Now it's not, that's nothing. You got Soria, which I don't think really helped, but you also got him efficiently. Josh Naylor is just an efficient bid. And then you got Alec Manoa for 284 to 278. So you got Robbie Ray and Alec Manoa on your team with um, excess fat of six plus 34. So you only overbid by 40 fab total on Robbie Ray and Alec Manoa. So that was hugely efficient. Gregory Soda, nine to five. And I'm just looking at this now. So for, forgive me if I'm slow. And you got Ranger Suarez, 28 to 27. Um, anyone else good here? Am I missing anyone? Let me know. Uh, Floro, you got him 24 to 17. Finnegan, 45 to 33. Um, you got Joe Adele, um, 34 to 19. Joe Barlow, another good closer, 24 to 16. Uh, Tristan McKenzie, 40 to 37. Bailey Ober, 4 to 3. So, like, you, you were really, really efficient in, in your fab. I don't know. This is sort of, we're sort of going off the cuff here, but it's something I noticed that, like, those are some great pickups that you had during the year. So, why don't we why don't we why don't we end on this talking about your main event fab because just this is a team that you finished second second in your league and I think you finished pretty well I think this was you finished twenty eighth overall I believe in on it with this team which is a great great team I don't know who I don't I don't have it uh, I could pull it up who finished first uh, Abdul Madani Madani yeah so he finished first um, in this league but yeah you you obviously had some great fab pickups why don't you talk about those for just to, just to bring things home yes I mean probably mostly luck, but I do spend a ridiculous amount of time on 
fat. And part of that is like looking at past bids and trying to identify tendencies, not too much like in terms of who, who ends their bids with four, but just like what is this kind of player going for and then how much budget if people have left. So try to have like, you know, a, a slightly educated guess about where to where to put the bids. But, you know, at the end of the day, this is still just a guess. So right. That's a luck. Yep. And uh, yeah, like it's obviously not a luck because you didn't like this is not all luck. This is this is skillful, but like like but it is lucky that Manoa went for in the two hundreds because in, in a lot of leagues he went for more than that. So it was fortunate. I was all, I also got Manoa from in the two hundreds in one of the leagues, but that was lucky because most of the time you weren't able to secure him from the, in the two hundreds. Yeah, in my other man I actually lost a tiebreaker on Manoa. I think it was two sixty eight. Um, oh, two sixty. 268 to like to it was actually tied. Yeah. Oh, that, that, that hurts. Yeah. What about what about McClanahan? What did he go for in this league? Did you did you go for him? No, I don't think so. McClanahan. Was he two C's? Two C's. Sorry. Uh, okay. 255 to 176 to Uptown Baby. Who won? That's um Doug Cassidy. Looking yeah, at that. Yeah, so. I, I think I was probably under 100 on him. I think that's a good bit earlier. How much earlier was that than Manoa? That was, like was that was maybe a month earlier, I would think, at least. I was being more conservative, I think, earlier on. The biggest bids were – the biggest bid – this is a pretty conservative league, yeah. So, Jolene Merriweather was the biggest bid. And Carlos Carrasco. Carrasco was the second biggest bid. And then Manoa was the third. Wade Davis was 279. Wow. That was that didn't work. That didn't work out. Mercedes was 275. Two, Wade Davis was 279 to six. Oh, that's oh <laughs> I just looked at who <laughs> you guys are cracking up because I honestly didn't I didn't see who did it, but I guess who did it? Baseball Furies. <laughs> Good friend of the show. Good friend of the show, Mike Masato. <laughs> 279 to six for Wade Davis. Not a good bid. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> <laughs> oh, good guy. He's a nice guy. Um. Anyways, so yeah, so um, let's end it. Let's end it there. I know. Thanks for thanks for your time. We spent we went we went just a bit over an hour. So let's end it off by asking you, Steve, what's what are your goal? What are your goals for? What's your wish? If you had a, if you had one wish, and I know Jeannie usually gives you three, but this one's. Stingy is going to give you one wish for the NFBC 2022 season. What's your wish? It could be anything. It doesn't have to be winning a league. It could be, you could say, I hope we just have a full season. What's your wish? Definitely would be self-interested. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think it's too much to like, I mean, I wish I'd like to win an overall. Um, but Graham, really, do you want to go first? Do you want to, do you want to, do you want to do your wish first? What Steve, Steve thinks about it? Dude, man. Just, I, you, just I, I, play, you just want to play in the league. I, I, yeah, I just want to play in a league and I hope that there's a major league baseball because I'd be really sad without baseball. I'm already you're, really sad you're without such a baseball. Politician. You're so, you're so, you're so diplomatic here. All right, fine. I want to beat everyone and dance on the graves of my enemies. Like, perfect. I love it. That's, that's more, that's more, that's, that's more on brand for our podcast. Steve, you got anything now? Um, yeah, so I'll, I'll say, my like pie in the sky wish would be to win the DC overall because I think that'd be pretty cool, but it's extremely unlikely I'll ever be anywhere close to the top again. Um, 
You, my, you, probably, you probably said that two years ago or three years ago. My uh, like taking everyone into account wish, like, yeah, baseball, but I'll, I'll wish, I'll include a wish that entails Grant's wish, which is I wish that like we have a, a full healthy season from Jacob DeGrom. So then that entails baseball. See how I'm getting more out of my wish than you did, Graham. Um, that there is a full season, but also that we get to see kind of a historical appearance or uh, performance from him. Your wish implies Graham's wish. Yep. Steve, are you a Mets fan? No, I'm a oh. fan of Graham. <laughs> nice. That's why we're a fan of you. <laughs> That's a bit much. All right. I lay well, it on thick, man. Well, I wish you guys farewell because that's the end of this podcast. So thanks again. I don't know. Do you guys want to? Do you guys want to say where you can find you? Do you want to? Do you want to be found on Twitter? I don't. I don't care. So I'm not going to say. Not. What's that? Yeah. You're I'd good. Not be found. Okay, perfect. Me. I don't want to be fine. No one. I hope no one finds us. I hope no one. I hope no one listens to this. And um, thanks. Thanks a lot. Uh, we had a we had a blast to learn a lot from your your teams and I'll stop blabbering on. So thanks, Steve. I'll talk to you. I'll talk to you later.